Blog Talk Radio. Being proud and puffed up in my way. 
And when we come back, we are coming back with our morning prayer. And uh, after morning prayer, then we're going to continue to encourage and talk about what uh, topic we want to discuss today. But I have a wonderful testimony for you and uh, some encouraging words. And then afterwards, um, we'll, we'll come in with the topic. All right, let's take a listen to Brenda Waters' uh, victory this morning. And uh, we don't know how, we don't know when uh, God's going to do it. But what we know is he's going to do it for us. For the just shall live by faith. And we walk by faith today and not by sight. Yeah. We, we don't go to college. Uh-uh. To find out which way we going. Yeah. That's not why we go to college. I go to the altar and ask God to help me to wait on him. Ask God to help me to stay focused and keep my mind on him. Because whatever way he lead and guide me, I'm going to be in perfect peace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's go a little bit further. Brenda Waters, Victory. So this song says this. I don't know how God's gonna do it. I don't know Thank you. 
for you, we would not be here. We open our eyes this morning, God, because you gave us the strength to open our eyes. We were able to rise because you gave us strength in our limbs and the facilities of our body. We were able to get here, God, because you blessed us and brought us the way of safety. And did not allow harm to come to us, Lord. We're grateful to again come into your presence. Because we know where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And as we come before you today, have your way, Lord. Let flesh be crucified, that you might be glorified. That your people might be edified in the name of Jesus. For God in you is life. And that's what we seek, God. Life eternal life God we pray oh God today that you will touch every person that have come seeking you Lord bind the hand of the devil God rebuke the hand of the enemy Lord God let your anointing that resonates in this place even now God let there be an outpouring on your people we need you God to take us to another level in you Lord God we're faced with demonic forces God evil spirits have come up against us Lord and we need to be fortified with your power God we can't make it on our own strength God we don't have enough to stand on Lord but we know God that your joy is our strength fill us up on today in the name of Jesus somebody have come this morning burdened down God with the issues of life God somebody God is in the battle of their life somebody's God fighting in their their mind and in their spirit Lord where the devil have come in to war against them Lord but we thank you God because we know greater are you that's within us than he that is within this world God we know God that you are a deliverer Lord that you're the same yesterday today and forever and you know short of your promise Lord and you're able to deliver us Lord touch us on today Lord we need you like never before fill us up with the Holy Ghost God uh, and give us a refilling Lord uh, that when we leave here today 
Lord. We can leave with your anointing, Lord, that as we meet men and women, boys and girls, they might be converted to know who you are, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. We thank you because you are a healer. You're the God that healeth thee, and healing is in your wings, and you're able to touch our feeble bodies. You're able to save our troubled souls, and in the name of Jesus, bind every demon, Lord, every demonic force, Lord, God, that comes to keep us in the same place, Lord. We're willing, God, to surrender and say yes to your will, Lord. We're willing to turn our lives, God, over into your hands, Lord, because we come to the place, God, where we realize like never before, we need you, Jesus. More than anything we know, we need you, Jesus. While men are trying to find, God, solutions to this chaotic world, God, we're looking to you, Lord, because we know for every right desire, there is an answer. And Jesus, you're that answer. There's no need for us, God, to turn hither or thither, Lord. We need but to look for you, Lord, because you're the answer, God, for our troubled lives, Lord. Touch on the day, God. Break every yoke, oh God. Save on the day, God. Deliver on the day, God. Jesus, we need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We're crying out to you, Lord. We know that you're able to save our souls. We know that you're able, God, to heal our bodies, Jesus. We know that you're able, God, to turn our situations around. Jesus, no other help we know. No other help we know. No other help we know, God. You're able, Jesus, to deliver our children. You're able, Jesus, to save the unsaved husband. You're able, Jesus, to heal the cancer patient. Nothing too hard for you, Jesus. No other God we know. We know that you're able, Jesus. We know that you're able, Jesus. We say yes to your will, God. Yes to your way, Lord. Have your way, Jesus. And we'll thank you for it. And we'll give your name the praise. And we'll bless you, Lord. Yes, we thank you, Lord. And we bless your holy name. Come on, open your mouth and give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Pastor Denton. I love that prayer right there. Oh, I love it. I love, oh, good morning. Good morning, Brother Louis <laughs> and Brother Perry. God bless you for hanging in there. I refreshed. And once I refresh, you come up. So I thank God for the chat being open and thank God for you this morning, Sister Jerry and my Sion, and good morning to you, Sister Irene and Sister Dorothy Goodman. God bless you this morning. I'm doing a test. Uh, Facebook, I mean, a uh, blog talk and YouTube to see, you know what I'm saying? So I think I may go with YouTube. Uh, I'm praying, I'm praying and see how the Lord leading God in this, but I'm excited and I'm thankful. A little bit more work with YouTube than it is with blog talk, but nonetheless, got to work. Yeah, if we if we gonna get the good, we gotta work for it. Yeah, anything worth having is worth working for, and so we thank God for that. And uh, this morning, um, we want to talk about John over in First John, First John chapter four. John tell it like it is down in there. 
So I just want to read this, and when we come back after I read this and share a little tiny bit, uh, we're going to come back and hear a wonderful testimony this morning. You know God is faithful. That's how I know him as being faithful, faithful, faithful. Never leave, never forsake, always there anytime. I don't care what you do, how you do it. God is always there for us. Yeah, the true believers. That's what I call us, the true believers. Because we got to believe that he is. Okay, Brother Lewis, and that he is a rewarder. You got to subscribe, Brother Lewis. Subscribe to it and the chat are open for you. Yeah, I was going to tell you that earlier, but you know how I get to talking. <laughs> yeah, we must believe that he is, and that God is a rewarder of them. He is the key that diligently seek him, constantly, always, continuously seeking him, continuing to seek God. Yeah. He will reward us. He's going to bless us. So look, we um I gotta cut down on the music and I know some people say, Well, I'm happy she cutting down on that music. But I enjoy getting my praise in in the morning and I enjoy getting my worship in. So I may have to do all of that before I come here and you know, and then pray and then come here and come with words of encouragement, words of Zion. Because I don't have the right to the music, and they may just ask me to remove my video on that cha- on my channel because I don't have the right to the music. You understand? So we thank God this morning, but I'm playing a little bit this morning, and uh, see what happens. So look, we um, go on to First John right quick, and I want to show you something. Uh, over in First John, First John chapter four is where we going right quick this morning, and then I have a wonderful, wonderful testimony for you today, and we're going to First John chapter four, verse one. First John chapter four and verse one, and our topic today is John tells it like it is. Yeah, over in First John is telling it like it is. It's up to us to apply what God inspired John to put here so that we can apply it to our everyday life. We apply it to our everyday life so that we can walk according to the word of God. Too many tricksters out here now. Too many false prophets. Too many fake people. And I, I see too many people, they think they've been found, but they lost. Yeah. We heard the song said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Some people think that, but that's not what's happening. Because they've been bamboozled. They've been swindled. They've been hoodwinked. They've been tricked into thinking they got the true and living God, and they really don't. And they don't know God. Yeah, many have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. Honor God with the lips, but the heart be far from it. And that's not the people that we want to be. We want to be the true men and women of God that's doing what's pleasing unto him and the things that he can accept. Yeah, I'm just straightforward. No, no need in beating around the bush. 
I'm like, John, I just want to tell it like it is so somebody can come to the light. Somebody can come to Jesus. He's the light of the world. And we're the candles that sit on the hill that can't be hid because we shine in light pointing to Jesus. Our candlelight goes to him. The light shined in darkness in many places today, but darkness comprehended it not. Because, see, when the light shined in darkness, it showed the dirt. So it made people run and hide. And some rather obey man than God. But I'd rather obey God than man this morning. So look what John's telling us here. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Now, this is what John's teaching us. But try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Now, he, he wrote this, oh, this been written. And as believers, we need to know these things so we don't get caught up. We, we, we don't get caught up into uh, education, man's education. Uh, we don't get caught up into the political correct foolishness. We don't get caught up into pleasing people and impressing people. And we don't get caught up into showing the world that we are like them because we are not. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. I don't want to sound like no one else. I don't want to do what no one else is doing. Now, there are many things we would do identical to one another because we have his spirit living on the inside of us, you see. We have the spirit of God in us. So we're going to love the same. We're going to give. We're going to help people. Somebody's going to tell you, I wouldn't do that. Because they don't have the spirit of God living in them. We're going to get to it. We're we getting there. We're getting there. In verse 2, it says, hereby know ye the spirit of God. You got to know the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. You, you, you got to know the Holy Ghost, okay? And see, even they have a problem with that word, Holy Ghost, because to them, Holy Spirit sounds better, although it's the same. But they're trying to sound intelligent <laughs> and like they know something. Don't know nothing. If they did, they wouldn't be with the foolishness, and they wouldn't be trying to impress man. Hallelujah. Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, that's what John said. I didn't say it. You can hold it against me if you want to, but I wasn't there when God inspired John to write this. But I believe it. I know it to be the truth. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Did you hear that? And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. It's already here. That that's against Jesus Christ. That that teaching people uh, don't say Jesus, higher power. Uh, don't talk about it. Yeah, don't push your religion on others. It used to be the United States of America. And we used to have freedom of speech. But John 10.10 10 said the devil come but 
to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's already here doing these things. He don't want prayer going forth. He don't want the word to be broken down so you understand and you can apply it to your everyday life. He hates you because you left him and went to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So look, it's already in the world. Verse 4 says, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, that's what John said, and I believe it. Because I have greater in me. I have greater in me. The great God, the son of the true and living God, lives in me. His spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, they're one. They live in me. So I have greater in me. Greater to bless other people. Greater to be concerned about those that are lost. Greater to be concerned about widowers and children in foster care. Children who don't have a father, who don't have a mother. The elderly, the sick. Greater calls me to be concerned about them. Not the way that the world does. Because the world doing things so that they can get money, grant money, some kind of money, so that they can be paid. What I do, there's no charge for. We working on those, those, those boxes to give people what we can give them. I'm not asking nobody to pay for no box or nothing. I'm not even asking you <laughs> to help me. I'm working to get it done. So that I pay for what I can afford, bring it or, or, or break it down and give it. Why is that, Barbara? God loves the cheerful gift. So he said, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because great is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now I want to say something about that little children part. Except we be as children before the true and living God Jehovah. I don't know what we're thinking. We'll never be adults. Yeah, we'll never be adults. No, Brother Louis, I, I want, want them to hear over there. That's why I really didn't put myself on live so you can see me uh, or see anything. Yeah, I want you to hear. But listen, little children is what he calls them. So except we come to him like a child because we'll never be an adult and grown when it comes to, when we come before God. We gotta come humble like a child. Because in his eyes we are children. We don't know nothing. Children are innocent. They really don't know nothing. Now we're not all that innocent. You go ahead, brother Louis ain't working on his second childhood right now and laughing. <laughs> yeah. We don't know nothing. And God knows we don't know. And when we come to him, it's like he lifts us up and set us on his lap and say, what's wrong? Your father's here. What's wrong? And we can tell him what we feel is wrong. Sometimes he'll straighten us out and he'll say, well, no, it's not that. It's this. And he'll break it down for us. Sometimes he says nothing. He just sit us on his lap and hold us and don't say a thing because he'll never leave us now 
nor forsake you. I don't care what you do. I don't care what you've done. He's a forgiving, loving, kind, and merciful God. But now, understand this. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. He won't go back on his word. Heaven and earth are passed away before his word. Lie. He's not a lying God. I, I, I've been out here in this thing quite a while. Since 1993. He haven't lied to me yet. Hallelujah. Verse 5 says, they are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Now, I can speak out in the world, but they're not going to listen to that. Uh -uh. I can tell them all the killing needs to stop. You need to stop letting yourself get so angry that you hate a person enough to take their life. You can't give life. You can take it, but you can't give it. And because you can't give it, you shouldn't take it. They won't hear that. Now, somebody else come out there and say, yeah, kill them. If they do this and that, they deserve to die. Now, they'll follow that because that's of them. That's, that's their own. They're going to follow their own. It says in 5, they are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. Verse 6 says, we are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And we do. I have people I am working with. I want to turn them loose so bad you have no clue. Because they don't know God. They got that form of godliness and they deny the power thereof. And then how they want to get from God, they want him to give them what pleases their flesh. And that won't work. He's not a fleshly God. He's a spiritual God. God is a spirit. And the scripture taught us they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If we come to him, we must come to him in spirit and in truth. This is why he gave us his spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I want to turn these people loose, but I can't. God have a purpose and a plan, and it's my job. So I stay on my job. Sometimes I get a little angry. I got to tell the truth. But he said I could be angry just saying not. Yeah. Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. And this is the part I really want you to pay attention to. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Now, I want you to understand that now. I can remember when Brother Frank was living. And every time Brother Frank wanted lima beans. And Rose Brown and Sion. <laughs> get Brother Frank some lima beans. Yeah, I'm going to give you $10. I'm going to give you whatever. $20. Send Brother Frank them lima beans. That was love. Other people come and they got issues. We treat them like nothing is wrong. Because prayer is going to fix it every time. We don't have people to come and straight up give their live testimony 
or what's going on in, in their lives. And it wasn't a godly thing. But we know God, and we know God had used them, and we know God saved them, but sometimes we stray. But God always come looking for us, that one sheep. So what we do is we show love. We don't beat them up. We don't tell them about themselves. We don't fuss with them, but we draw them in more with love. I can remember Pastor David coming on and saying that uh, to, to someone who had confessed, and he told them, we love you, and we don't hold nothing against you, in other words. So he put that in the, belief, in the atmosphere so we as believers could show love and not clown with this person. Oh, it was a beautiful thing that morning. God is faithful to us and always there to give us what we need. But we got to seek him with our whole heart. Stop playing around. Time is not winding up. It's wound up. Did you hear him say the Antichrist is already here? And look how long ago that's been. I come to the Lord in 1993 in the fullness. In 1993, and it's 2023, and look how long he'd been here. And he was here way before that. But I'm just saying the distance from 93 to 2003, he'd been here. Don't you know he'd been wreaking havoc? Don't you know he'd been doing some things on the DL, they call it, on the down low? He'd been showing out here, there, and now he's coming out more and more in the public. The spirit of murder is in the land. More and more people are getting killed. The spirit of murder. We got to love one another. Check on one another. Yeah. I got two people. Every morning they checking on me. What, three? I got three. Y'all know Dot and Irene going to do it. Y'all can forget it. They going to be there. And I thank God for these two women. And another brother, Brother James, every morning, Brother J and before Brother James go to bed at night, he's going to send me a, a good night greeting. And when he wake up in the morning, he's going to send me a good morning greeting. And the Lord had me to pray for him the other day and pray for him the next day. And I think it was yesterday I, I didn't pray for him, you know, right there on the spot. But it's praying time, and prayer will fix it every time. But as believers, we got to love one another. See, if we show one another love, then the world will know that we are of God. For the love we have one for another. But you over here Methodist and you over there Baptist and you Pentecostal and you Apostolic and you this and you that, you Episcopal, you Catholic, you Muslim, you whatever. You belong to the church of Roof Roof, Bow Wow, I don't know. But until we come together in love, I don't know. I do a fourth Sunday fellowship, and I'm trying to reach out to churches to join together. You think they stand that love I'm talking about? No. Now, when I mention we lead an offering over there, that might perk them up. That may perk their interest. But that love that John is talking about, uh-uh, what love? I ain't got no time for that. If they're not bringing me what I want over here, if they don't believe in what I'm talking about, see, and that's not God. 
Because we many members but one body, and we headed all should be headed in the same direction. But the scripture also teaches us how can two walk together except they agree. So you got a lot of people don't agree with Jesus is the son, the only begotten son of the true and living God, Jehovah, that have all power. You got some don't believe that. You got some that don't believe Jesus and God, they're one, and the Holy Spirit, they are all one. You, you got some people don't believe that. They believe they're separate. You go to him for this, and you go to him for that, and you go to it for this. Ain't no it. All him. The Holy Spirit is the he. Hallelujah. Because it's the Spirit of God. So we got to learn to love one another, please. And some people, you know, they like this. Well, I, I can't do all that. I can do it when nobody's around. Some people come and hear me every day on the download, on the creep, they call it. Yeah, they come and hear me, but they don't want their buddies and their friends to know it because they call me ignorant. They call me this and that. She don't know what she's talking about. But all I can tell them is this. Know this. I'm going back with him when he come. I'm coming back with him to judge the world. You can know that much for me because I'm going to live according to his will. Don't make me perfect. Don't make me better than nobody else. It makes me striving more for perfection in Jesus. Now, this is what he says. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He told you in the beginning, try the spirit by the spirit. See whether it be of God. We know when it's a right spirit and when it's a wrong spirit. And we pray for discernment of spirits. Because we need to know who's on the Lord's side. Because the words say, either you for me or against me. And I feel the same way, Father. Either they for me or they against me. And even if they're against me, I still got to love them. <laughs> because he said, love your enemies. So I got to love these people that forgive me because of God. For great is my reward, too. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Seven says, the love, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Now, that's what he said. You see that verse seven, John wrote that. It, God inspired this to be written for us. This didn't come from Barbara chapter 13, verses 5 through 7. Uh-uh, that, that's not, that didn't come from Barbara. God inspired this to be written for Barbara. And Barbara must live by verse 7. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 8 says, he that loveth not knoweth not God. Here we go, for God is love. Now, that, that's the word, that's not Barbara. That's the word that, that is not Barbara. But Barbara got to obey it and live it. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So when I see these people talking crazy and acting crazy, I, I, I can't, can't say nothing. They don't know God. Now, they say they do. See, but I'm, I'm like God. He taught me. I hear what you say, but I'm looking at what you're doing. 
And if what you're saying and what you're doing are two different things, then I know what it is. It's a lie. Yeah. And people think they they being smart and they being wise and they're not letting people use them. I don't care nothing about that. Guess what? what? All that I have, God gave it to me. And as long as I want it, I'm going to keep it. Now, the day I don't want it, it'll go. But you can't use me because all I have belongs to God. So you, and we know you can't use God. Hallelujah. I'm through right there. Amen goes right there with it. Yeah, you're not using nobody. Yeah. Verse 9 said, and this was manifest the love of God towards us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. You know why? God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Didn't you hear what he said? And this was manifest the love of God towards us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And if we live in through Jesus, our life is hid in him. And guess what? We full of love. I ain't got to worry about no man uh, mistreating me. Tell me I, I love him and I'm going to marry him. I ain't got to worry about that. Why is that bother? I'm led by the spirit of God. He said, sit down. I'm sitting down. I don't know if I ever get married again. But that's not my business. And that's not what I long for. I was telling a young lady the other day she in love with I'm talking about in love with this man and the man messed up. And and and, and he finally come to me to talk. Oh, it was bad. It was real bad, y'all. But I listened and I let God abide and I prayed and I and when it was time to tell the devil to shut up, I took shut up. Don't you say another word. But guess what happened? Deliverance is coming for him. Oh, y'all don't understand. So I had to tell her, I said, you around here looking for a husband, honey. He looking for deliverance. He, this man looking to be set free. He ain't looking for no wife because he know he is messed up. And if he get one, he going to mess her up. And that's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to get God to fix him. And a lot of times we don't understand that. I'm guilty. I'm raising my right hand. I am guilty, guilty, guilty. Never considered the man true hard. What he had gone through in his childhood. He had issues. Never considered that he was tall, he was dark, and he was handsome. That's all I needed. He had a decent job. That's all I needed. He showed me lots of attention. That's all I needed. And one day I was in Orlando, Florida, going down the street called West Columbia. <laughs> Got down there by the Lincoln Mercury Company. And I was, I was, the Lincoln Mercury Company was on my left, let's say that. And when I turned and I looked over, I did a double take. There was a salesman, had his black pants, his white shirt, and his black tie on all very attractive and looked like them clothes was just hitting him right. I'm just telling the truth. And I did a double take. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you're looking at the outer appearance, but you don't know what's in his heart. I looked again, uh-uh. I almost hit a telegram pole, turning the 
turning that corner, getting on the way. Why? You looking at what's outside, which will fade away, and you're not looking at the intent, which you can't, but you can see where the heart is. The way some people act, you can tell what they're about. You ever heard them say, oh, he got swag. You out here dipping and dapping him. That's what you're doing. So that people can say these things about you, but your heart raggedy. You don't have God. And not only that, but your childhood mess you up. And you haven't come to confession yet to confess it, even to God, what went on. We heard the girl testimony yesterday. She confessed that thing. And she told anybody that had problems deep like that, confess it to God. If you don't have no one else you can trust, confess that thing to God. You will be free. You will feel much better. She told, and that's true. I used to get angry. And I didn't want to tell the man off like that because I'm a, a lady and you don't act that way with me. And you ain't got no business talking like that, you know. There's a way for you to talk to a man and he understands. So what I would do is I would write it down. What I want the cuss words and all. Do y'all hear me? Cussing in the in the in the writing and it how I really feel and what I really think about him because I'm angry. When I got to I felt so much better, but I tore it up and threw it in the trash. I wrote it to feel better. That's how I become to write things. Yeah. But we got to love God. We got to obey God. We got to love one another. God sent his son for us, the begotten son, that we'll have a go-between. He's our mediator. We go to him, he take it to the father. And because that begotten son take it, not only does the family, the father hear but he answers because he knows the begotten son is not going to bring him no foolishness. Now, sometimes we bring him some nonsense. Somebody wants somebody else's wife. Somebody else wants, that's, that's praying amiss. That's crazy. God already given them what they need. So look, 10 says, herein is the love. Here's the love. That we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the the perpetuation for our sins. He was the one who paid the ransom for our sins. He was the one that shed the blood that washed away any kind of sin. All sin. All sin that we're all right there is a big, big word because it's all different types of sin. His blood shedding took care of that out at Calvary. He bled. He suffered first. Suffered, bled, hung, died, conquered all, rose with all power. For us, Jehovah found a way to redeem us back to him because we were separated in the garden. Adam and Eve, remember them too? Disobeyed. 
God told Adam he blamed Eve. 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. We ought to also love one another. We're going to love one another, you think? We're going to check on one another? If we don't check, we're going to pray for one another. Uh, I'm getting ready to go a couple of places. Uh, I'm getting ready to hit the streets. Uh, 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 because I, I got some things I got to do. I'm going somewhere with a person because they don't want to go by themselves, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't. So I took it when I I, I, I really, <laughs> anyway, God is blessing. That's what I can tell you. I'm not one to use people. If you go with me, I pay for everything. I can't let you do that. I'm going to. Maybe we can split that bill because I'm not a user. I'm a giver. Then I wanted to take my daughter on a trip. So I'll be gone again. But I'm taking my old baby here. I'm taking my notebook to make sure I'm able to do my YouTube video wherever I go. And hopefully some mornings I can be out on the water and having Jesus in the morning and a cup of coffee. What you say, Brother Perry? Yeah, and whatever city or state I go to, I know it's for me to share the good news of Jesus. I'm going to run across somebody that needs him. I'm going to run across the saints that's been waiting for something, and God used me to bring the date to them that he's releasing to them, or it won't be long now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. I wanted to share this this morning. Because, again, I'm seeing too much out here that's not love, and that's not God. I don't care how sick and tired I get of people, and I'm just honest. I'm good when I'm rested. When I'm real tired, when I don't ran for seven, eight, ten days, I I, 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 I need rest, but I got to keep going because they need me, is what I'm telling myself. I'm not saying God used me. I'm saying I feel they need me. I got to be there because of that love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a lot of stuff. They should be leaning and depending on Jesus, but they're calling me. And they want to hear me talk about Jesus, but they wouldn't go to him for themselves. But he said, confess your sins one to another. Then he said, this where two or three are gathered in my name as touching and agreeing. He's in the midst. Not only does he hear, but he answers. So guess what? Yep, I'm going to answer that phone. Can't help myself. You need prayer? We're going to pray. You need to be, you want to talk about God? That's the way to hold my attention all day and all night. Start talking about God. Boy, you ain't going to get rid of it. Yeah. But this is the thing. I'm headed to be a blessing. And I'm hoping to go down and see a lady I met 
over the internet. We've been knowing each other now for years. And she sent me an encouraging uh, message every morning, text. So I'm headed that way. It's down in the Pensacola Abbey. Then I might just cut cross from Mobile right there into Alabama, run, running on up to 65 into Montgomery. And y'all know I stopped by Birmingham for a few minutes. I love that Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah, just stop right there to Birmingham. And now while I'm up there, y'all can see what you want. I might have to have me a little bit of that cabbage. Well, them women up there, they cook some cabbage. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But God is faithful. Love lifted me. Love is what lifted me. It was God that lifted me. And because of what he's done in my life, I know he can use me to do great things in others' lives. Maybe I shouldn't have called Brother Perry's name out. He might have been at work, and I'm talking loud. Yeah. But he loved me enough to bring me out. And I know he loved you enough to bring you out. But you may not know it. But I know it. And I'm willing to work with you until you realize he's bringing you out. That's a beautiful thing. But see, the day preachers in the church don't have time for that. Baby, if you don't get it on the first go round, that's on you. Don't come back no more. Don't call me no more. It's a rare occasion these days that you can get a hold of a pastor if you got two or three members. Oh, they just got it going on. Do you know God allowed, allowed me plenty of time for prayer in my prayer closet and to get in the Word? Do you know that? All I do, he yet whole time for me to do what I need to do, what he said to do. Man ought to always pray and not think. Study to show that self-approval workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you know he allowed me time for that? If you'd have saw me yesterday, somebody would have felt sorry for me. This phone took a licking and just kept on ticking. It wouldn't stop. But I come to do the will of him that sent me. God sent me. I'm going to do what he say. And I'm happy to go. And in a lot of these places he sent me, it's a good time. I know y'all won't understand. But it's a good time in many of these places where God sent me. And one of them, I'm going somewhere I wanted to go. And uh, I just wouldn't go. Could have been went. Just didn't go. Miami, Sion. Hey. <laughs> so I'm getting to go to Miami and getting to go to a wedding in Miami. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? God is good to us. Now, you know at the wedding, I'm going to be going from place to place and table to table. Hey, I'm Barbara. How y'all doing? And they looking crazy because they're not used to the real. People not used to people being real. They're not used to people caring about them. Love. They're not used to that. Genuine people. Oh, no. Everybody got to be fake. I want to say that word. What What's the word now, Brother Louis? Um, intellectual. Everybody show their intellect. And everyone has got to be intellectual. Nobody really talks to nobody unless they know them. We all human beings. Every one of us are human. You can act like you're more than you are if you want to. That's up to you. But you have to take a bath. 
You have to eat. You go to bathroom just like everybody else. You have to have an income like everybody else. And people worship people that have, they think got something. A car, the house on the hill with the dog named Fluffy. All of that is so man can look up to you and you can feel like you're a part. Now, I, I, I don't want to feel a part. I got a house because I wanted to come out to profit. And I didn't want to fight nobody over a parking lot. Because the words I could be angry, but sin not. And he said, lay hands on no man suddenly, even to pray for them. And I know if it would have continued, I may would have had to lay hands on somebody and it wasn't going to be holy hands and God wasn't going to be pleased. So before that got to that, I went to him and he, he saw the very intent of my heart and he gave me a house. Now, where he gave me the house at is so I could be separated and I could pray in peace and everybody not knocking on the door. and Yeah, I told you he allotted me time for prayer and to study. So look, he gave him a truck because I wanted to give others a ride and then I wanted to have something nice and I wanted to have something with a little bit more room than a car that I could carry over-the-counter uh, uh, medications and give it away. I could take food and give it away. I could put together Thanksgiving uh, bags or, or, or breakfast bags or whatever I want to do. And I had I could put plenty in the back of my small SUV and deliver them to wherever. Oh, look at here, look at here. He didn't give me that to be prestigious. He didn't give me that to look the part of what the world was going to accept. He gave me that to work. It's a work truck. Isn't that beautiful? I don't have to keep it polished and waxed up every day and every week and I got towels on the floor and paper. Don't sit on my... What? Get in the truck and let's ride. <laughs> huh? Jerry Cloud. Let's ride. We ain't got time for all of that. We'll take the truck up there to the boys and they clean it inside and out. Because I'm not trying to, imp I, I like a clean truck, but I'm not trying to impress the world. People come to the house, uh, uh, uh. I'm like, what in the foolishness? It's a house. We live in it. Don't sit on the couch. Don't sit on the floor. Come on to the table. Let's eat. Oh, you had that table custom made. I wouldn't care what I had. It's to sit a plate, your fork and your knife and your glass and your cup if you're drinking coffee. And let's get down. I done cooked on the stove. Oh, you got a new stove. Yeah. And it's to cook food. The oven is to bake. I cook and I bake in it. Now let's go to the table and eat what I done cooked and baked. Everybody and on over foolishness. Oh, you got a pond and you got a, a pool. What? It's what I wanted. I mean, what? I'm telling you the truth. It's not to impress no one who comes. And as soon as I got it, I, I was inviting the world. Not so you could come and see, but so you can come and enjoy with me. You can enjoy with me. We can eat crab. See, I still got the picture. Big pants, a loose foot pants, crabs, and 
and uh, sausage and corn and, and some people call them what they call them Jerry skimps scrimps something she say yeah and we sat down to that table and we ate till we just couldn't eat no more yeah some people would oh no not not in my dining room oh my carpet clean I can baby we went in there ate like pigs. <laughs> cleaned up when we got through and went on about our business. Yeah, it's just a house. It's just a car. And if you're doing the right thing and you need another one, or even you want another one better than the one you got, you feel like that one messed up, he'll give you another one. He's able. He is able to see me through today and every day. Hallelujah. And we got to love one another. And not just the Jesus in the morning family, not just this faithful few we come together and love one another, but it's many other believers out there we got to love. We got brothers and sisters all overseas that we got to pray for. We may not know their name, what denomination they are, but they believe us. And those that have to hide and sneak and they can't come out because it's a Muslim country and all kind of stuff like that. We got to keep them lifted up. Israel and Jerusalem, we got to keep them lifted up. We can't forget these people. If we love God, we love his people. And we don't really look at nationality. Not really. I mean, it, 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 it shows distinction, you know. I'm different from you, you're different from me. That kind of thing. And we may have some, I may like broccoli and you like Brussels sprouts. You know, I may not care for Brussels sprouts. I only like, and you may not care for broccoli. You may just care for Brussels sprouts. And, and, and you from another country. It don't matter. We'll find a common ground that we can get along with. You say you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He's your Lord and Savior. He's mine too. You say you've been in the book. You've been in the Word, and you've been praying, I have too. So we should find something in there that we can come together on, and it would be 1 John chapter 4, because we got to love one another. Now, if he taught us to love our enemies, how much more we're to love our brothers and sisters? Yeah, is it after 8 o'clock, 7 minutes after? All right, I just wanted to share that. I'm going to one more song of the morning, and I want to come back. I'm coming back with a great testimony. Hallelujah. A gospel journey. Trouble sometimes are here, filling in hearts with fear. Freedom we all hold dear, now is that stay. Humbling your heart to God, saves from the casting rock. Seek the way pilgrims drive, Christians away. Take a bend of style. 
Because if we do what Luke 21 says, then guess what? We'll get to come back with him to judge the world. Hallelujah. I'm satisfied in Jesus right there. Amen goes right there this morning. And I'm thankful unto Almighty God. I see you in that blue loop. <laughs> I see you over there <laughs> in the chat room over Oh, and Brother Perry went over there, too. Okay, okay. I see y'all. I see you over there. So I'm going to have to engage with uh, with the audience, and uh, I'm going to have to start that soon. So y'all give me a little bit, and I'm going to get on top of that. But I, I'm doing too many things as it is, so I don't want to jump over there and mess something up. But listen, um, God is faithful, and he is on our side this morning in spite of us looking beyond our faults, and yet meet our needs. And I, I am so thankful that I know him for myself. Oh, y'all don't know what that means, I guess. I know God for me. Hallelujah. And I know what he will do for you. Hallelujah. I'm thankful. So listen, we're going in, in here and take a listen to this testimony. We 12 minutes past. We should be good for if anyone have a testimony or something they want to share this morning. I ended up getting a job in New York from a Rolex boutique that is right in the middle of Times Square. But then what ends up happening is while I'm working at this job, I'm not doing as well as I was in sales in Atlanta. And then this this thing comes over me of desperation of, I have to make a sale. I have to make a sale. At this uh, boutique, there were two guys that came into the store and they approached me about doing a scheme for credit card fraud. Then I get a job as an executive assistant for a biomedical ad agency until I get a a call from the lady who was previously my lawyer. And she said, you have to turn yourself into the New York um, Police Department. Your previous company is pressing charges against you for third-degree grand larceny. And this bright white light 
comes and just like permeates the entire cell. And it's this vision and I just like fall on my face and I see the feet of Jesus standing before me. Both of my parents were divorced since I was two. Um, Since dealing with the divorce with both of my parents, um, that caused a very big strain in the relationship between my parents. Um, I grew up with an older brother, and we lived with our mother full time. But my father was always in my life, Um, always. But um, ever since my parents got divorced, it caused strain um, between them two. And so it would cause strain as well between our relationship, um, between our two parents, oftentimes being put in positions to where we would have to choose between which parent, um, which uh, being in circumstances where my father would show up to pick us up and my mom would not let us go with him um, just due to um, just domestic issues that they had between one another. Uh, but I grew up with two very loving, loving parents, uh, especially to me and my brother. Um, but the, it, it became very interesting because as I started to grow, my mother's side of the family, um, they would go to church, um, like on Easter, Christmas, uh, regular holidays, but we did not observe Jesus at all, like really that way in our home. Um, But on my father's side of the family, we would go down to Columbus, Georgia, and my grandmother would teach this like home kind of church thing. But I did not know at the time that it was a cult, which is what it ended up being. So um, we would go down there every single weekend, and we would basically be in this environment with majority of my family, and we would be being taught things about Jesus, but it really was not the Bible. And so just to go into the backstory of that, my grandmother actually grew up um, going to church. When she got older, she had four sons, including my dad, and they were attending a church regularly. Um, My grandmother had some form of revelation that she felt that she received. I'm not sure if it was from an angel or something weird. And she thought that she was going to go to the pastor or the preacher and let him know that she deserved to be in a position in the church. And she wanted to teach this doctrine and she actually ended up being removed from the church. So when she started this home kind of church at her house, it was from a place of bitterness. And she started to teach us a lot of things against the church. So at a very young age, we were taught to not attend church. We were taught that Christians were hypocrites. We were taught even not to go to the doctor. And there was this this environment where we would come and sit and we would sing songs and we would be hearing about the Bible, but we would actually just be worshiping my grandmother. Once I got to a certain age, I was being put in the position to choose between the two. And with choosing between the two, um, just like it was when I was growing up and my parents were like pulling us, which one, which parent you're going to choose. We were chosen. We were basically put to choose between which religion, whether to go with my mom or to go with my dad. And this is a key thing in my testimony because um, I grew up very financially successful. So my father was very financially successful. Uh, My mother was also financially successful, not to the extent of my father. So just like 
majority of us who don't know Jesus, we attribute God to financial success. So I ended up choosing my dad's side of the family and going with that side because I assumed it to be correct because we were prospering so much financially. Um, But this caused a lot of risks um, just in my life um, pre-Jesus. I grew up feeling very self-righteous. When people would try to come to talk to me about God, I didn't need to hear anything that there's that they said. Um, I knew what was best for me. If you would try to evangelize to me, you believe what's right for you. I believe what's right for me. And we were actually indoctrinated into these beliefs in the cult. It was also very um, traumatic because we, anytime there would be a conflict or let's just say we didn't wake up on time to clean up my grandmother's house or we didn't wake up in time to do certain things or there was a behavioral situation, we would be sat in front of the entire church and just berated just by family. Um, And that caused a lot of um, issues with me never even understanding what grace was. Um, It was very much so, if you did this, you deserve this, and you deserve what happens to you after it. And there was no form of there is grace. Um, and it would be so much manipulation. Um, it, you would be questioned and questioned, and then when you would answer the question, that wasn't good enough. And it was also like they made you to believe that if you disagree with them, you disagree with God. Um, also, if I cried, if I showed emotion, I had a demon in me, and I had the devil in me, and I didn't want to change. And it was very uh, psychologically just damaging. They also made me... Um, think that it wasn't good to go in career fields of law or career fields of being a doc in a doctor or medicine because they taught us against those things. And so, yes, I just grew up with a very traumatic uh, childhood. Now, Melissa, as you're growing up, did you realize you were like different from other people who maybe were going to church just on Sundays or did you have any sort of idea like that you were actually in a cult? So we would have whispers from other family members when we would go for, like, family reunions. I would notice that any time we would speak to if I had any other friends or any other um, close friends of the family, especially on my mom's side, they would just be so perplexed about what we were being taught. Um, And we were very much so being taught about God and obeying God, but no one obeyed God on on my dad's side of the family. So I grew up seeing my father dating multiple women, um, going out to the club, living all types of, of a life, you know, and it was never an emphasis on that needs to be something we repent for, but we need to have radical obedience to my dad or my grandmother and whatever they say, but not anything in our life. Um, needs to like shift and change. So I would notice when I would go around people that that would just be very alarming for them. And most people would say to me that this was a cult, this isn't right, what are you being taught? I would get that a lot. But because we were financially successful, I didn't see a need for anything else that they were telling me um, that I needed. I felt that I had everything. And we were even being taught from a book that my grandmother wrote. So it was a lot of just weird, uh, just twisting of scripture. But as children, we don't know. And in a cult, you're raised with like your your cousins and your family. And you do have moments to where you're having a good time. Like you're going on little trips throughout the, the summer and, you know, you're having a good time and hanging out. And so there are happy moments 
and you don't really recognize as a child just what, to the extreme, what you were being indoctrinated into. So, Melissa, I know it was a long time before you had your encounter with Jesus. Can you take us through your life even after the cult? What was that like for you? What were some other things that you found yourself involved in before you encountered Christ? Absolutely. So I would say even though the cult experience was traumatic as a child, I still had a father who was very present in my life. I still had a mother who was really present in my life. So to my understanding, even though a lot of things were manipulation, they were always present for me. So I never felt the absence of like a mother or the absence of a father. And I even grow up, grew up like being in all these different sports and activities. And I would notice just different things about my person. I was very outgoing, made friends very quickly, very easily. Um, where things started to become or hit ahead for me, would, I would say would be high school. So high school would be a a very traumatic time where I actually would start to have very serious behavioral issues that were starting to take place in me. So I would notice that I would be very angry. I would notice that I would be very depressed. I would notice that I would be kind of sort of a bully because I did have a loving mother, but my mom, because of bitterness from the divorce um, between my father and my and my mother, they would teach me a lot of really harmful things. So they would basically teach me like that, well, especially from my father's side, to never get married, um, to never um, be in relationships with people because they're just going to hurt you. Um, they're just going to, the second that you tell them what you believe, They're going to try to change you. A lot of fear-based tactics. Then on my mother's side, there was a lot of anger um, from the rejection of the divorce. And so with that, that would be a lot of misplaced anger that she would take out on me and my brother. And in middle school, my brother went to go live with my father, but I was stuck with my mom in high school. And my mother was very, very, very volatile um, with how she would speak to me. Um, Everything would be screaming, yelling, and argument. And so what would happen when I got to high school is when you can't defend yourself at home, you would start wanting to try to defend yourself at school to your peers. And so I started to become a bully. Not only was I self-righteous and believe I had everything, I knew everything, but I was also very much so a bully because I wasn't going to, I was going to defend myself. I wasn't going to let anybody talk to me crazy. And because I had gone through this cult environment to where anytime you would do something wrong, they would sit and just berate you. And in that moment, I would feel just completely just not protected in those specific moments. Anytime I would be in any form of conflict, I would just try to protect myself. And so this really hit ahead between me and my mother. I ended up getting into a lot of fights when I was in high school and just being suspended, having to go through anger management. And I ended up getting into a very big argument uh, with my mom, and that's when she uh, physically um, hit me. And when that happened, I ended up saying, well, I'm going to move with my dad Um, because I was also pretty manipulative as a child. When you go through it, when you're in a divorce household, you can basically like put parents against one another if you want to get your way, you know. So with that, I ended up moving my junior year in high school, I ended up moving 
um, to my dad's house. But then this now created extreme bitterness for my mom because she, here she is. She's now lost two kids. And so this once very close relationship with my mom turned extremely volatile. So she tried to get me kicked out of the high school. Uh, this is when she totally just would cut me off. And this is when I started to feel extreme rejection to where I've had the closest relationship with my parent. And now she's treating me as if I'm like an enemy. So this pushed me even further into this cult kind of stuff that I was into with my dad because now my mother is actively fighting against me and then it goes to my mom's not calling me on, on my birthday or on holidays or and it just put such deep-seated hurt in me of just abandonment that I'm a child like you know um and that started to cause like a lot of pain and so um, it would manifest itself in a lot of relationships that I would have with friendships. And um, when I would even feel that someone is, like, drawn away from me or, you know, I would just, like, fight back or do all these things to just, like, protect myself. And so this would be my high school years, um, just really feeling a lot of pain from not having my mother in my life or not feeling reconciliation. And this would start a trend with both of my parents of anytime something would happen in our relationship, they would just cut me off and just would not talk to me. Now I'm headed off to college. And when I get off to college, this is a time to really um, start to try to explore what you're into, what you believe, because when I, I grew up in this environment where I was constantly being indoctrinated and told what to believe. And so freshman year of college, my grandmother, who is over the cult, passes away. Um, this causes a friendly frenzy in the family. And as a matter of fact, majority of the people who were in that cult died horrible deaths. Um, so my grandmother, her stomach just protruded all the way out with just fluid. They didn't believe in doctors, so they didn't take her to the doctor. So she just died traumatically in the bed just with sickness and as and before she died she was seeing demons in the room it was actually very horrible but they would not take her to the doctor my dad's two other older brothers died from um drugs and then uh there were other people in the cult that died from a truck falling on them to a garage coming and and cutting their neck off um, a lot of tra trauma happened to some of the children um, because they didn't want to take one of the kids to the doctor that was recently born, so they ended up having mental health issues. A lot of the uh, younger girls ended up being um, abused sexually, and then there were other people who would just die from cancer. Honestly, majority of every person that was in that cult um, died majority of every last one of them, um, except for a handful of a few people who ended up getting away. So when that happened freshman year, when she passed away, that caused a frenzy in our family because she was the head that was like leading everybody into this thing. And now with no other direction, my dad had idolized my grandmother so much that it caused even more bitterness in him. Um, because of listening to my grandmother, this is what led him to divorcing my mom. This is what led him to divorcing many other uh, not divorcing many other people, but this is what led him from separating from other women who would be in his life. And there was such a stronghold and such a manipulation control in that relationship that when she passed away, it caused my dad to just go into extreme, extreme unhappiness and bitterness. So now I'm in college. 
and I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. Um, my mother was in a sorority um, when she pled, when she went to college because both of my parents went to college, so I grew up in a very educated home as well. But I now start to pursue a sorority, and I start to try to pursue my identity. So now my identity is in, oh, I'm going to be freshman class president. Oh, I'm popular on campus. Um, everybody wants me to be a part of their, their group, and now I want to pursue this sorority. And so I end up getting in this sorority. And uh, we end up going through horrible uh, rituals. And these are rituals that I also did to other people, uh, whether it would be slapping, beating, eating dog food, paddling, um, every sort of demeaning thing that you can imagine we went through, Mm -hmm. as opposed to kneeling down before altars, taking oaths to our final judgment, this false god, you know, on, on the shield, on the crest, like, now, Melissa, did you have any idea that what you were doing was unto false gods or anything like that, or mm-hmm. was this just normal? Like, did you have any of these concerns that you have now? It was totally normal because my mother was in a sorority, my aunt was in a sorority, my brother was in a fraternity, my grandfather on my mother's side was a mason, a shriner. So this thing was introduced in my family. I was groomed. I was, as a baby, wearing future of the sorority Um future t-shirts, you know, like that I would be this. So I was groomed into this. Every last one of my mother's friends were a part of the sorority. So I knew, I I actually picked the college based upon them having that sorority. Um, So I just knew that this was something I wanted to do. But the, the deceitful thing about sororities and fraternities, because they are secret societies, is that on the surface, on the surface, you see that they do community service. You see that they're college educated women. You see that the founders were a part of like a women's suffrage march. You see all these wonderful things, but you do not know until you get in and you're chosen what you're going to do. And the deception when you get into a sorority is they don't give you a manual so you know what you're about to do that evening. You walk in blindly to every last one of the the rituals or the classes that you're going to do, and that's when you see that you're doing witchcraft. But Mm -hmm. it's not, you don't know that. And I was very blind. I never had a relationship with Jesus, did not step foot in the church, so I was doubly blind on any of this being demonic. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even going to go to one of the rituals because they do the rituals in a church. And because I didn't believe in church, I wasn't even going to go to that. This is how deceived I was. And so you look at these things that you're going through, like it's making you tough, it's making you strong. There's nothing, you know, and they're building you up. And But they also are killing a lot of individuality and they're indoctrinating you into the sorority. So it's like I go from one cult to another one. Not only did those things happen to me while crossing over into the sorority, I also did it to other people that I brought over in the sorority. Even worse, there is something that really shifted and changed once I crossed over into the sorority. And this is what leads me down a path of a lot of sexual immorality. So, Melissa, tell me a little bit about that. You know, you're in the sorority. You begin to see some of these things popping up. What are some of the things that you found yourself really struggling with? Yes. So if I was self-righteous before, the second that I became in that sorority, I was 
extremely self-righteous. Um, we're taught to have pride in the sorority. We are taught to that we're popular. We now have women that are like following around us that just want to be a part of the sorority. So you're bullying them. You're hazing them. Um, you have this superiority complex, this, um, this complex that you are in some way, shape, or form like, a God, you know, like you, they want what you have. And so now you're going to manipulate them and use them and make them run errands for you and make them do all these things. So something really shifted in my bully personality. If I wasn't a bully before, I became even more of a mean girl, a bully afterwards. But I now started to manipulate young girls the same way that this thing happened to me when I was younger and manipulated them to make it seem like they were doing this for a good cause. This was honor. This was respect. And meanwhile, I was doing nothing but taking advantage of them. Also, something happened to me uh, in regards to sexual immorality. The second that I took that covenant <laughs> unto the false god, which was Minerva, by the way, that, that's the false god that's over the sorority, that we would wear it over our crest. We would even say songs that all my peace, my love, my happiness, I give it to the sorority. Everything was about worship to the sorority. And so after Afterwards, um, I ended up being in uh, different relationships, um, but the relationships would always end because I was indoctrinated that I don't ever want to get married. And on top of that, I never want to have kids. So this led me down a path of extreme sexual immorality where I was literally sleeping with a lot of people. I didn't care. I was very numb. And this also led me to my senior year in college to get pregnant. And then I ended up getting pregnant, and this was by a guy at the time who I was talking to, but we weren't in a relationship, and I was like, there's no way that I can have this child because I was indoctrinated <laughs> that my body, my choice, and why would I bring a child into this situation where I'm not even with the dead and I'm not going to be a single, single mom and just total selfishness. And so I ended up having an abortion. And I rem I never forget the day that I drove to the clinic. Literally, as I was driving to the clinic before pulling in, I saw Christians standing outside with signs and saying, please don't go in there and begging and pleading not to go in there. But I, my, my will, my human will was, I was going to have this abortion. There was no way that I was going to bring a kid into this because my ego, my, my image, that, that meant more to me than anything. And I just remember sitting on the table before about to have the abortion and they show you the sonogram of the, the baby and still making the decision. It was like God was trying to give me grace and I still made the decision to, to kill the child. And I remember sitting and, and my feet are in the stirrups and they did this thing called a twilight sedation uh, back in the day because this was around uh, 2009. And they did this thing called a twilight sedation and that means you're half asleep and half awake. And I felt the, um, I felt the entire procedure. Then afterwards, after they just like sucked the child out, they put you in this room, and it's called a recovery room, and it's just a bunch of women, and everybody is just depressed. And something changed in me after that, too. I just became so cold, so cold. Something changed in my spirit. Something happened to me. Something left me that day that I did that. And um, my life just went on this after that and the yeah 
So, Melissa, I know that you had an intense encounter with Christ, but it happened at a point of your life that you were never expecting it to. Can you kind of take us into what kind of led up to Jesus um, kind of shifting everything that you had gone through before? Yes, absolutely. So now I graduate from college. I've I've made this decision. Um, Now I get very heavily into my career, um, which was luxury retail. But by the way, as I started to get into my career, about four years later, I end up meeting up with the same exact guy, and I end up getting pregnant again. And I end up having an abortion again. But at this point, I was so cold-hearted. And as a matter of fact, my father drove me to the abortion clinic. And at this time, I'm 25. I have every means to take care of the child, nothing more than just selfishness. And then my father told me that he had had an abortion with a young lady when he was in college. And so he understood and he took me. And um, it was such a normalized thing. But after I did it once, it became very easy to do it again. I was just Mm -hmm. very cold-hearted. And then I started to shift my ambitions into career. So I ended up getting into luxury retail. And I ended up uh, doing very well, very similar to my father who was in sales. And I ended up succeeding. I was working at one of the top um, luxury retail um, stores here in Atlanta. I was selling Rolex and all the top brands. And, and and I was selling um, diamonds and rings. And um, for like the first year that I'm working there, I end up being a, a million-dollar writer for the company. And I'm excelling. And I'm around celebrities. And I'm around football players. And I'm around basketball players. And I now start to get immersed into this Atlanta uh, lifestyle of just strip clubs and parties and going to taking last-minute trips and going to Miami. And I would meet different clients there drug dealers, all types of people that I would meet. And I would go into this fast lifestyle of just like image, of just um, I'm I'm going with people's husbands on trips. Um, Now I'm just so arrogant and I'm so cold-hearted that I could care less. I would be selling a diamond ring to a man one day who had a wife, and the next day I'm going on a trip with them. And I was very cold-hearted in regards to those things. I was very dog-eat-dog in my pursuits of wanting to reach the top of the field that I was in. And so I just became arrogant. Um, I felt that I had no need of God. I actually felt like God was blessing me. But, yes, I would all throughout the week I would be I would go to the the strip club with different clients, and I have very well-known celebrity clients um, at the time. What happens is that I started to become very greedy, and so this wasn't enough for me. After I reached the top of my field in Atlanta, there's a thought that comes in my mind, and I'm like, well, I want to move to New York because then I could work for Rolex and the top of these companies, like, that they're all the headquarters are in New York. And at the time, I ended up meeting um, a guy who I ended up getting into a relationship with who lived in New York. I started to pursue this career in New York because he's there, I have a cousin who lives there, and then I could work at this top-of-the-top company and be in New York and making lots and lots of money at the top of my field because I had been working in this career for about seven years at this point. And so I ended up 
immediately getting a job. This was December of 2014. I ended up getting a job in New York from a Rolex boutique that is right in the middle of Times Square. And I was like, wow, this is God. <laughs> like, you know, we always attribute God. I do believe that the Lord had something to do with my move up there because this is when I encountered Jesus was in New York. I also think that he separated me um, from a lot of the manipulation I was in still with my family because I don't believe I would have been able to encounter God because I was so submitted just to my dad and whatever he believed and, and very fearful to go against whatever he was saying. So I end up moving up to New York, and this is where my life changes drastically is when I moved to New York. The moment that I moved to New York, I end up moving in with a few girls who were a part of my sorority, and um, one of the girls ended up not really uh, liking one of my close family members. And so from that point forward, I started to deal with roommate rejection, and they started to, like, push me out of the apartment. And so the second I get up there, I'm dealing with that. I'm also dating a guy, but while dating him, I'm on Tinder, I'm on apps. I'm just so self-righteous, so arrogant, always felt that I could do better than this person and just treating the people around me like crap, like complete crap. And um, so I would be, you know, talking to other men and um, still up there trying to live the same lifestyle of going out partying every weekend, all while having this job. But then what ends up happening is while I'm working at this job, I'm not doing as well as I was in sales in Atlanta. I'm actually tanking. And then this this thing comes over me of desperation of, I have to make a sale. I have to make a sale. And at the time, I considered myself very ethical in what I would do. In my, I would never steal or do anything like that, but desperation came over me when I moved to New York. Um, I'm failing. I'm not succeeding. Um, I'm not making clients as quickly. And on top of that, I'm just greedy, greedy for more, greedy for men have extremely, extremely, extremely strong lust issue, um, and I just wanted more and more and more. And so when I was at this uh, boutique, there were two guys that came into the store, and the enemy had planted a seed because I had also met them in Atlanta, but they lived in New York. And so they came into the store, and they approached me about doing a scheme for credit card fraud not a scheme around the city, but in the store. And so with how it worked in New York, you don't have to really check anybody's ID um, in regard when they would come into the store to make a purchase. So because I was so desperate for a sale, I remember the night before agreeing to doing this, I remember sitting and knowing that this was wrong and knowing not to do it and feeling an extreme unctioning in my spirit to not do it. And I remember even praying and asking God to protect me while I was going to go and do it, which made no sense at all. So I go into the store, the guys meet me there, they pick out two watches that they wanted, and we go into this back room. Now, a part of the story that is, is a big deal is there was an off-duty police officer that would work at the store to do security. And he was a detective that would work for the New York Police Department. And we would talk, he would talk to me about my dad because at that time my dad also started to have a lot of health issues. Um, he started to deal with can cancer, heart failure, a lot of things that my dad was dealing with back home. And so I would talk to the off-duty police officer and share with him. But he knew when the guys walked into the store that something wasn't right. I took the guys back to a private room 
And while taking them back to a private room, um, I started to try to do the sale knowing that they were giving me fake credit cards, knowing this. And I was just greedy for a sale. And then on top of that, after the sale was complete and the guys walked out, they even gifted me a watch, which was, I was, I felt so guilty. I went and like sold it. And I was like, and, and tried to get rid of it just to cover up the sin that I had done. Shortly after that, I ended up having to go and get my wisdom teeth pulled out. So I was away from the store for a few days. I noticed that when I came back to the store, that things were really off. Um, my manager was acting weird. Everybody around me was acting weird. They had some of the people from like the headquarters that were there, and I just didn't know what was going on. About 30 minutes after I clocked in for my shift, the police pulled up to the store and dragged me out of the store in handcuffs. And then once they dragged me out of the store in handcuffs, I was just in shock. And I just, they took me down to the police station, and that same off-duty detective started questioning me. And this is when he made me write a statement, and he was asking me what was the motive for doing it, and I was just shocked. <laughs> I was just shocked that, number one, I had gotten caught. I had never in my life been in any form of legal trouble or never in my life been in this type of situation. He said that we're only taking your statement for now, but if we hear that you're involved in this any, any bit further, we, you will be hearing for us from us. So they released me from the police station after giving a statement. After that, I had an older cousin who lived in New York. I reached out to her just for a lawyer because I just didn't know what to do with my life or what was going on. And then after that, she and, and, like gave me uh, the contacts for a lady that she knew that was a lawyer. And then I um, started to work with her to figure out what was going on. And at that point, they were not pressing charges against me. I had just lost my job and I just needed to write a statement. So then I started to try to rebuild my life in New York. At that time, I started to work for Saks Fifth Avenue. After working in Saks Fifth Avenue, I then ended up getting a very good job at Cartier, literally the Cartier Boutique that was right in, uh, right in Fifth Avenue as well, you know. And so I'm like, well, finally, my life is just, you know, feeling back out again, everything is going great, like I would never make that mistake again in my life, and all these things are behind me. And I also want to mention that when I went and got my wisdom teeth pulled out and did that whole thing, they gave me an entire bottle of hydrocodone. So I just wanted to mark that for the story because it is important as I move on and share the rest of the testimony. Once I got that job at Cartier, this had to be about six months or so after everything had happened. I was also living a very promiscuous lifestyle. I had broken up with the guy um, who I was with in New York, and I was just dating whoever, having sex with whoever, engaging in whatever, anything in regards to sexual immorality, um, just really trying to cope with so much loneliness, emptiness, depression that I felt. And with working in retail, you're working on the weekends. So it's not like you can go back and visit your family in Atlanta. So I was just up there and I just felt so much depression. I just felt very low. So I ended up getting this job at Cartier. After getting this job at Cartier, I was working there for maybe two weeks. I get a call from the HR department that they are terminating me and that I need to leave the premises immediately. And basically, they had heard what happened when I was at the other store. And so when this happened, um, it was actually at the same time that I had a friend coming to visit me in New York. 
I was so distraught. I just could not believe that this thing was following me everywhere. And I went home, and um, that is when I tried to take my life. I tried to take, like, a bottle of those pills um, because I felt that I had no identity outside of my career. I had no identity outside of money, and I felt that my reputation was ruined, and I felt that I was a failure. I didn't know what was going to happen to me, and if that friend was not there and didn't find me, I'm not sure uh, what that would have looked like uh, for my life. But after that certain scenario happened, I ended up wanting to move back to Atlanta because I just felt like this thing would be following me forever. I moved back down to Atlanta. I was in Atlanta for maybe two months, and I was trying to get a job in Atlanta. I could not get a job anywhere I looked. Everything was blocked. But I kept getting calls again for jobs in New York. So I said, I'm going to switch careers. I'm going to move to being an executive assistant. And I moved back up to New York. And it's like, who would move back up to New York with all these things that just happened? Little did I know that that was the Lord um, that was actually having me move back up to New York. And um, then I get a job as an executive assistant for a biomedical ad agency. And I end up getting hired with them permanently, which was such a miracle in New York because you do so much temp work. And um, they very rarely hire you for permanent things. And so they ended up hiring me, and I was not on that job for a week until I get a a call from the lady who was previously my lawyer. And she said, Melissa, you have to turn yourself in on Thursday. I think she had contacted me on like a Monday, and she said, you have to turn yourself in to the New York um, Police Department on Thursday. Your previous company is pressing charges against you for third-degree grand larceny. I felt like my life was shattered. I felt like my life was over. I felt hopeless. I felt defeated. I felt like I'm about to go to jail, and I've never done anything in my life to get in this level of trouble. Um, What are people going going to say? What What is my family going to say? How in the world will I ever get a job moving forward? This thing has followed me everywhere that I've gone, and I just felt utterly, utterly hopeless. When I got home, I ended up calling my father first. And when I contacted my dad, my dad basically said to me on the phone that this is what you deserve. This is what you got yourself into. I'm not coming to help you. Do not call me. Do not call anybody from the family. Um, If they're saying that you did this, you did this. And he hung up in my face. And uh, that caused a lot of pain to me because my father really was like my hero. He had never just not been there for me. Even though we went through the things that we went through in that cult, he had always been there, like for everything. And now I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling, what am I about to do? And then at this time, I still had the estranged relationship with my mom. We weren't talking very often, but I ended up calling my mom. My mom ends up um, saying to me, she was actually out of the country at the time, and I ended up letting her know what was going on. And she ends up like calming me down. She says that she's going to give me a call tomorrow. She's going to figure out what to do. That whole night, I'm just tormented by thoughts. The devil was just telling me to take my life again. I'm just totally utterly worthless, just 
wanting to commit suicide again. And then my mom, my mother, my aunt at the time calls me, and my aunt starts to, like, pray for me. And this is my aunt on my mother's side. And uh, she starts to just pray for me. And she just starts to just tell me to just hold on, hold on, hold on, just hold on. My mother actually ends up calling me the next day, and she says that, the Lord had given her this dream and this vision, and she's getting on the first flight to come up here. And the Lord spoke to her audibly and said that she needed to go up to New York immediately to be with me because I'm going to be doing mighty things uh, for his kingdom. And at this time, I knew nothing about God. I just didn't know anything about Jesus. Um was this comforting to you, having people pray for you, people telling you, like, the Lord gave them a vision, or did this help you at all? No, I, I, I didn't understand any of it because I, it's not like I grew up in the church. I only grew up in knowing the Jesus that I had created that was okay with my sin, that was okay with my lifestyle, that was here to financially help me, but not, I never grew up knowing what grace was, you know, so I didn't understand at the time. All I could still think about is I'm about to go to jail, mm-hmm. you know, and the prayers are great, but I'm about to go to jail and I'm by myself in New York. Uh, what am I supposed to do? So I didn't understand how much those prayers were helping me, but they were preserving me because I didn't take my life. Um, but I I was overcome with very tormenting thoughts. Um, but when my mom said that the Lord said that she needed to come up there immediately and that God was going to be do I was going to be doing mighty things for the kingdom of God. I was so blind. You got like, I did not understand what that meant. What does that mean? Like, I don't even know. What does it mean? What is the kingdom of God? Like, I don't even know what that means. So I was really blind, but I was more so comforting that my mom was coming up um, because I did have an idolatry for family at the time. So I was just, yeah. So, Melissa, take us into that that Thursday morning. You know, you know, you have to turn yourself in. You know, you have literally no other option at this point. What happens? Wednesday, when before we get to Thursday, my mother made it up on made it up to New York on Wednesday. And the whole day that my mom was headed up to me, my mother, I mean, my aunt stayed on the phone to just talk to me. I did not realize how precious that was until after the fact. And so my mother ends up making it. Uh, to New York, and she starts to talk to me about uh, Jesus. And this was really interesting because my mother was not a extremely uh, born-again believer, but she started to talk to me about Jesus. And she started to talk to me about how much he, he loves me. And she started to talk to me about grace. But at the time... Because I grew up in that cult, I wasn't without accountability because we were taught to have accountability. So I truly never went to God like, I didn't deserve this. Why are they doing this to me? It was actually the other way where I was like, I do deserve this. I do. I deserve everything that happens to me. I didn't think that Jesus would want to talk to me because why would he want to talk to me? Why would he want to help me? I've done all these things against him. Why would he listen to me? Why would he help me? I just did not understand anything in regards to grace. And she starts to talk to me about grace. And she starts to talk to me and say, like, Jesus loves me. And I couldn't see how anyone could love me for, for the things that I've done. I was just so used to, whether it's my parents, family, friends, just cutting me off. 
very similar to what my dad did, who would love me the second I make a mistake, like, I'm worthless. That is what I felt. So she starts talking to me about God, and there's something that shifted in me where I just said, well, I just, I believe. And if he wants to help me, I just, I believe that he's with me. And something shifted in me. I don't, something shifted in me. And so the morning that I woke up to go to turn myself in, it was very early. I remember the Lord uh, telling my mom to dress nicely to turn myself in, and I didn't understand it at the time. And uh, I ended up dressing really nicely, and we ended up getting on the train. And I hear the voice from the Lord that says, listen to worship music. And I was like, well, what do I listen to? I've never heard worship music a day in my life. I've never, I don't know gospel artists. I don't know anything. What do I listen to? And I just turn on Spotify, and the first song that comes, comes on is great is your mercy. Great is your mercy for me. And it was a revelation that, wow, God, like, is having mercy on me. And there's this amount, this was the first time that I ever felt the Holy Spirit. Like, I just, I didn't know at the time that's what was happening to me, but I had a supernatural peace that just made no sense because I'm headed to go turn myself in. And I was an alarmist in the world, just a panicker. Anytime thing would happen, things would happen, and there was a peace that was over me a supernatural peace, and I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is when there was, like, faith that started to happen, where I just chose to believe that the Lord was with me. And I don't know how. It it had to have been the gift of faith, because I do not know how I believed that Jesus was just there. And so I get to the police station, and at this time, uh, my mother had gotten a different lawyer from me, because the other lawyer never showed up. The lawyer meets us at the police department, and the first person that I see at the police department is the off-duty police officer, the detective, and he's there to book me in. So the way that this procedure works is that you go, you surrender, they book you in, and then you wait in the jail cell for your bail hearing. You have to go appear before the judge, and the judge lets you know if you are going to have bail. And so this was what was happening to me that morning. When I saw the detective, I just knew something was just different with me because I didn't feel angry. I didn't feel upset because what you guys don't know is that um, he actually really uh, fabricated the statement that I gave to him. And he actually said that the motive behind me colluding with those guys um, was that my father was sick and I needed money to send to my dad. And he created a story that actually wasn't true. I was definitely guilty of what happened, but he he basically testified an entirely different statement. Um, and that is why they brought charges. And then he also tried to say that I was involved in a an entire heist, an entire ring around New York. And that's why my charges uh, were so heavy. But I had only met those guys that one time in the store. But I wasn't angry when I saw him. I, I was actually joyful. And I actually didn't have fear. It was the oddest thing. And so from that point forward, I experienced amazing grace. Um, and, I, and, it, and it just boggles my mind when I think back to this story because I never knew grace. From the moment that they took me in, I could tell something was different with the 
detective. Once my parents left and they're going to, like, book me in with handcuffs and to put me in a cell, normally they would put you in general, in a general cell where there's all these people that are in the cell with you. He takes me and puts me in a single cell that is near his desk. I don't know if you guys have ever seen, like, uh, police stations in New York and NYPD. They're very dark. It's like a very slender window at the top. Um, so it was very dark in there, but he goes and puts me in a single cell that's just near where his desk is. The whole time he's headed to take me to the cell, he says, would you like something to eat? Would you like something to drink? Is there anything that I can get you? Would you like to call your mom? And I'm like, why is he being so nice to me? Like, I, I'm not, this is really strange, you know? Like, I was very nervous, but I was like, what is happening? Like, he was offering everything, and you could tell something was happening in him like something was off with him maybe it was guilt I'm not sure but he takes me and he puts me in the cell and when he puts me in the cell I am sitting in the cell and I start to go through my life and this is when I'm just telling the Lord like I am just so sorry that I've done this I am just so sorry for what I've done this is how I'm knowing Jesus now I'm get I hear his name I know who to pray for and I'm like I am just sorry that I've embarrassed you that I've done this action to you and while I was doing that um this is this is the moment that I met that I met the Lord so the cell is dark dark where it's just very dark because it was very early in the morning and this bright white light comes and just like permeates the entire cell a light that's not like what we see just like overwhelming and it's this vision and I just like fall on my face and I see the feet of Jesus that's like standing before me I just follow my face, and he starts to run my entire life back before me. Everything, secret sins, things that I didn't even remember that I've done. And not only does he do that, but he starts to show me when I would leave conflicts and encounters, how I hurt people, he would show them going home and them being in pain and crying for things that I did or I said to them. And he would make me feel what they felt in that moment. And I say like all the time, like when you meet Jesus, you meet truth. That's why it's not an option to say like, oh, but, or I didn't mean to. And I, I wasn't like that because he showed me my sin through through his eyes, which was the truth. So there was no way to like, to see anything that I've done in a different light, except for that I have sinned against a holy God. And then the vision is so real that it's like you feel like you want to hide under the lowest object that you can from the Lord because you feel like not only what you did, you're guilty, but whatever happens after that, you deserve it. The vision was so real that I felt like he was going to, like, cast me into hell, like, immediately. All these things, 
my body, my choice, just sexual immorality, not to mention, like, my sexual immorality got so bad. Like, I was going to sex clubs. Like, it was so bad. And, like, he showed me just everything, just all the people that I've hurt. And it couldn't have been any longer than five minutes in the natural, but it was so long in, in, in the spiritual realm. And I'm just bawling on the floor in a fetal position, just I turn it off like you just want it to be turned off. And he's not speaking to me audibly. Like, he's just like, I can't explain it, but like, he's just like talking, I guess, like heart to heart. But you, you just know everything. You know everything that you have ever done in like a split second. In, in the exact moment where I felt like he was going to like banish me to hell. He overwhelms me with a love that I've never experienced in my life. He overwhelms me with a love that I've never experienced in my life. I am married. I have experienced joy. I have never experienced this in my entire life. And to imagine that I felt so dirty, the worst of the worst. How could you love someone like me? How could you love someone like me? It just didn't make sense. And this love, if he would have turned it up one notch, I felt like I would have died, like I would have burst. I have never experienced this in my life that any person on earth could ever feel this about me. And I just was undone undone like when i hear them say they feel at jesus feet is dead like i i was undone i have never experienced this in my life and he started telling me uh that he wanted me to repent i didn't know what that word even meant at the time um and then after he started telling me that he wanted me to repent he started then to prophesy my entire life to me he started to tell me that he uh, was going to use me for mighty things in his kingdom, that I was going to be working with young women and young children, and that I would be ministering to them, and that I would have a fellowship, and that I would just be evangelizing uh, to many different people and bringing many souls to his kingdom. I did not know what any of that meant. And then after he said that to me, he said to me that he would be with me throughout the day, and he said to me that I would be released without bail. Then he just left. After he left, I was just undone. I don't know how the other police officers didn't see me. I don't know how they, how it was shielded, that encounter. But after he left was when they started to notice me and noticed that I was crying and noticed that I was just undone. But at that point, it was also like the glory of the Lord was on me. So I couldn't stop smiling. I could not, I, I just couldn't, like I was just full of joy. I was so full of joy that when they took me to take my mugshot, they had to tell me to stop smiling. <laughs> um, it was crazy. Um, but I had never experienced that before. Just the presence of the Holy Spirit, being in the presence of Jesus, it was unbelievable. So after that, I ended up, uh, it was time for them to transport me to the courthouse where I was going to have to go for my court hearing for Bill. 
at this time, the off-duty police officer was only supposed to work a half day um, because this, uh, by the way, you guys, was a 4th of July weekend. It was a 4th of July weekend in 2015. Many people were off, and it was a Thursday, so they were leaving to go out of town. So there was another police officer that came and said, hey, listen, I know that you need to go and be with your family. I can just take her to the courthouse. And the off-duty police officer was like, no, I'm going to take her. Like, it was something in him that he just could not leave from me. And, like, he was just so kind. I don't know what was happening in his heart. Um, he was so kind to me that when it when they went to go put me into the police car, they put an extra set of handcuffs on me so my arms could be loose in the back. The level of grace that I was receiving, it just made zero sense. And so even on the police car ride, the the other guy, his partner, is like, I can literally just do it. Like, we do this all the time. Like, And he's like, I'm not leaving her. I'm not leaving her side. And so um, then the police officer says to me, hey, I, do, I believe that you're probably not going to have to have bail. And I was like, oh gosh, that's what Jesus just said to me. That's unbelievable. Um, but I, I think what was happening in the police officer's mind is that they are the ones that, like, testify, but they're, the prosecutor is the one in charge of, like, what they charge you with. So I don't think he thought that I was going to get charged as high um, because when I got to the courthouse, they actually let me know that um, they had upped my charges to second-degree grand larceny. And second-degree grand larceny is theft over $100,000. Um, it is a felony. It is a minimum jail time of 10 years. Um, and so it is a very big charge. So um, maybe he knew that at the time. I didn't know that because I was just in the car. I only knew it was third degree. And I, I don't even know what that fully meant, honestly. So we get to the courthouse. And when we get to the courthouse, that's when I see my mom and my lawyer again. And we're sitting in the hallway. We, we haven't gone in the courtroom yet. So there are seats in the hallway. The detective let me sit with my mom and let me even talk with her, which is, like, not customary. They normally will let you talk to your lawyer, but, like, not any family. So my mom is sitting there, and I'm like, Mom, I met Jesus. I met Jesus. Like, he appeared to me. I met Jesus. And I'm telling the lawyer, I'm like, I met Jesus. And Jesus told me that I'm going to be released without having to pay bail. And I met him, and, and this. And my lawyer looks over to me, and he goes, uh, yeah, no, that's not possible because they upped your charges to second-degree grand larceny. You're going to have to pay bail. Um, and I looked over at him, and I'm like, but I met Jesus, and I was just like a child. Like, I met God, I met God. While we were at the courtroom, there were so many supernatural things that started to happen. Happen. There was a brawl that broke out, which was crazy, between rival gang members. And um, while we were sitting in the hallway, there was a man that was, like, playing with his son that was sitting at the end of the hallway to, to the left of me. And all the way at the right of me, there was a woman that was sitting there and they were sitting there the whole time and they were just looking forward and then the woman in the suit came by me and she said I just want you to know that you're beautiful and then she went back to go and sit they never met anybody no one came to meet them but when the bra broke out in the hallway from like the rival gangs or something that was happening the two 
looked down at the people, and when they looked down at the people who were fighting, they started screaming, almost like screaming that you hear in a deliverance. They started screaming, and they just ran off the floor. And after that happened, they just the two people just looked forward. I know that now to be that they were angels, but at the time, I didn't know what was going on. Also, when I was before they called us into the courtroom, I was sitting in a seat, and I saw this vision of Jesus walking down the hallway in a purple robe, and he had a stack of, like, papers in his arm, and there was an angel that was next to him, and I only saw the back of him. Still, to, I don't, I've never seen the Lord's face, but I only saw the back, and the robe was a long robe, and he walked down the hallway, and he walked into the courtroom that I was going into because there were multiple courtrooms on that hall, and he walked in there, and I was just like, oh, my goodness, and he had like a stack of papers. And so we end up going into the courtroom, and by the time we got into the courtroom, this was close to lunchtime because I had to turn myself in around 8, so this is close to lunchtime. There was, and so the enemy was causing a lot of delay, a lot of delay. And by the way, when I got into the courtroom, a lot of people had to go before me. Every single person that went before me got locked up. We couldn't have had the meanest judge <laughs> that you could ever imagine. This judge was so mean. And every single person that appeared before him was either was either getting the hardest sentence, getting locked up, and I had to sit there and watch every person go before me. Yeah. And also to watch my lawyer say, your mom needs to figure out the bail stuff. And at the time, my dad didn't want to help out with any of the bail stuff, but my mom ended up getting a bail bondsman to come. We're standing in the courtroom, um, and by the time I think that they're going to call me, they end up going to recess. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, this thing is just getting dragged out. And while it's getting dragged out, the enemy is just talking to me. Oh, my gosh, they're going to give you the worst sentence. Like, he allowed me to see all of this, to try to put doubt in me. But I just believe what, what God said. When they go to recess, they are normally supposed to take you to the holding cell that's underneath the jail with the rest of the prisoners. The detective takes me to the employee break room and just lets me sit in a chair, just handcuffed in the chair. The level of grace that they that, that was being shown to me was unbelievable. And remember I said that the Lord wanted me to dress up. It was amazing because when I went to the jail cell, they didn't make me, you know, change into scrubs. And so now we leave from out of the employee break room and we go back into the courtroom. And now they call my case to the front. When they call my case to the front, the prosecutor starts to just ram in on me. Uh, we want to set her bill at $60,000 with a surety on funds. A surety on funds mean they take 72 hours to legitimize the money that you're putting up for bill. And since it's a fraud case, they'll do that, right? And so that would have meant that I would have been on Rikers Island for an entire week before I was able to ever post bail because mm -hmm. this was a 4th of July weekend. So the next business day wouldn't have been until that Monday because they wouldn't have processed it on Friday. And he goes, she's a flight risk. And he just starts going insane about just my character and just like tearing me to shreds. And like the second when he started talking, I was literally about to like hang my head and the second that I was about to hang my head, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, you better not. And he said, look up. And I said, and I just like looked up and I just held, held my head, you know, high. 
Then the judge goes to, for my lawyer, it's my lawyer's turn to speak. My lawyer maybe only said one sentence about, you know, seeking to defend me. The judge cuts my lawyer off and he goes, does she have any family here? And my mother is just standing there raising her hand. And he just immediately looks at my mom and then he looks at me and he hits the gavel and he says, she's released, no bail. I fell on my face when I went out of the courtroom. My lawyer was crying because he used to be a prosecutor, so he's now a defense attorney, but he's never seen that before. The detective stayed there the whole time in the courtroom, and he was just in awe. And he was, and I, when he took the handcuffs off me, I just fell on my face and I just started to worship Jesus. I just started to worship him. And that happened on a Thursday. I was in church on Sunday and I had never stepped foot in the church in my life. And something broke off me when I walked into that church on that Sunday. The Lord showed me just a vision of the courtroom. And he showed me that that's what he did for me on the cross. That I was guilty with so many sins and I had no way to pay them. I had no way. But he took the price and he defended me and he set me free and he allowed me to go with grace. And I just, from that point forward, I just gave my life to the Lord. There was a lot that I didn't know within the first year of me walking with Jesus because the church that I went to was just a random church that I found, so it wasn't solid uh, doctrinally. But I wanted to get baptized. I wanted to share about Jesus. I didn't fully understand repentance because no one like taught it to me. And at the time, I didn't have the infilling of the Holy Spirit uh, for things to change. But I thought that being a devoted Christian was going to church every single Sunday and volunteering on everything. I just And the Lord really corrected me along the way. So in 2018 was when I became born again. And that's when I, the, I heard of repentance and I fell on my face and I fully repented for everything that the Holy Spirit showed me. And uh, that's when I received the filling of the Holy Spirit. And ever since then, everything that Jesus has prophesied to me, I'm doing now. Um, I have a wonderful fellowship group here in Atlanta. Um, we have baptized so many women, uh, so many men. Um, we are focused on creating disciples and leading people to Jesus. And this has been my life where now I do full-time ministry, and this has been my life serving Jesus. And that is my testimony. Amen. Melissa, who is Jesus to you? Jesus to me is amazing grace. Jesus is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And I am just honored to serve him as a daughter. Now, Melissa, do you have any advice or encouragement for the people who may be watching that are finding themselves in that really low place like you were at and don't really know where to turn and don't feel like they have any other options? Yes. Um, He truly leaves the 99 for the one. He will never 
leave you ignorant if you were truly searching for truth. And I internally was truly searching for truth. I did not know at the time that him separating me from my father and moving me to New York and having me with no influences was him pursuing me. And so the advice that I would have is today is the day of salvation. I don't know what would have happened if I didn't heed to God in that moment when he showed me myself, if I didn't choose to believe him, um, if after that day he showed me grace, if I didn't choose to yield to him. I don't know what would have, would have happened. So I would just say, please, like if the Lord is knocking on your heart, if you are empty, you're looking at a person that had everything in the world. You're looking at somebody who had money, who had men, who had relationships, who had everything that I've ever set out to have, and I still was empty. And I'm here to tell you that you cannot find love in sex. You can't find love in money. You can't find peace in anything in the world. It is only Jesus. Surrender to him. Please surrender to him. It's not worth being ignorant in religion. It's not worth being ignorant in cults. Hearken to his voice. Really, when he calls you, just humble yourself and submit to him. Amen. Now, Melissa, can you pray for the people watching who may have gone through some of the same things that you have gone through? Yes. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for everybody that is watching this testimony. I pray that if it has touched your heart, I pray that you really go and seek Jesus on your floor and seek to have a relationship with him, to seek to have an encounter with him. I pray that you're open to receiving his love and that you're open to receiving what he has to say about who he has said that you are. I hope that you receive the grace on what the Lord has done for you in your life, what he has done with dying on the cross. I pray a hedge of protection around every single person that is reading this or watching this. I pray that the gift of repentance falls down and that we may see our sin through Jesus' eyes and not through our eyes. I pray that the Holy Spirit comes right now and touches every single person that is watching this testimony and that no matter if you are have an extreme testimony or no matter if you were someone who grew up not having anything to the person who has everything, Jesus is for all. He is for the rich man. He is for the poor man. And I pray that we all will come to know that love that Jesus has for us in the salvation. And so I pray this over every single person that is watching this video. Please harden not your heart. Today is the day of salvation. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now listen. <clears throat> They tell me they can't hear the music over on YouTube, and maybe that's because I don't have permission to play it. But I hope you continue to, or will continue to listen, because I'm going to work all of this out and uh, lessen the music and more words of encouragement. Uh, intercessors, I need y'all to keep Louisiana in prayer. Uh, the water there is being contaminated. The seawater is coming into the fresh water. So y'all keep Louisiana uh, in prayer for me. Um, another, I got so much going on right now, but I'm happy. I'm happy. But listen, um, we thank God for his word. This testimony I played the other day, 
and I was not intending to play that again this morning. There was another testimony of a woman I was going to play, but when I touched it, this came up, and I couldn't stop it. So it was his will that we hear this again today because many people have been in sororities and many people, children, have been trying to get into sororities. But I tell anybody, I don't, I don't encourage you to join no type of cult. Eastern Star, Mason, Shrine, none of that. Uh, the, the sororities, I, I don't recommend you do all of that. Because, see, with me, I know this. There was a secret. There was a great secret. And the secret is, in the beginning, Jesus was the word. God revealed all of the secrets to us. Yeah, he was the word. And when God said, let us make man, he was there. God uh, sent Jesus in the flesh. Yeah, so there are no secrets. We don't need secrets. We don't need cults. And just like he said, it it, it show you all the good that they do and da-da-da-da-da-da. But once you get in there, then you find out evil is lurking. I told a friend of mine out of Tallahassee, she always running here and there for these Eastern Star meetings. And they have it at the church, honey. They go to church. Do y'all hear me? And I told her what I found on YouTube. And I told her all about it. I said, this was evil, honey. This started from devil worship. After that, she never come back to my house no more. She never want to really be bothered with me no more. But I was fine with that because I told her the truth. I told her what God is pleased with. But see, many people go to church, but it's not about God. It's about what they want to do. He can say don't do this and that. They ignore that and find a reason to do it. But whatever God said don't do, don't find a reason to do it. Don't do it. You hear me? He has said what he meant, and he meant what he said. And that's how that goes. Yeah. And we love the Lord, and we want to please him. We don't want to please our flesh, because there's no good thing in this flesh. Yeah. Our brother Lewis said, hey, sister died on the live stream chat. <laughs> I put the uh, I'm I'm going to put it again the the, uh, the the web address how to get into the chat. If you're on Facebook, I'm going to post it out there, and that way uh, you'll be able to find it. I'm going to put it in all of the chats uh, that's open for us on Facebook, and that way whoever wants to attend can come in. Yeah, and uh, it is beautiful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is faithful. He's good. He's on our side. And we have a few minutes, but if you have something you would like to say this morning, please feel free to press that number one and uh, come in today and uh, share with us. You may have a testimony or there may be something else, you know, that you'd like to say. So uh, just feel free and uh, the door is open for you. So look, um, I'm going to find one more here. Uh, Sister Irene, I think the song before the testimony, I can't remember everything. 
I think it is Jesus is coming. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Jesus is coming soon. And it's by the opiate void. Yeah, I want to play that again, but I won't. I won't. I won't. But uh, we're moving right along, and um, we're going to play this one this morning. And when we come back, the studio is open. If you have something you would like to say, please feel free to press that number one and come in.
Canadian Brothers in Christ, Working Man is the name of that one. And uh, I love the boys right there. I love their old albums. Uh, Brother Lewis sent me the CD years ago, years ago. And uh, I still have that CD. And every now and then, Brother Lewis, I pop it into the computer and play it. But uh, I have all a lot of their songs, and I'm grateful. Uh, Babylon, uh, oh, so many, so many. And uh, maybe tomorrow I'll play some more. But we thank God uh, uh, for all he has done here today. Thank God for his word. For his word is a lamp unto our feet, and it's a light unto our path. And forever, O oh God, that word is settled in heaven. And we pray daily that he would sanctify us through his truth, for his word is true. Hallelujah. Everything going down but the word of God. We got to have that word to live by, to apply daily to our everyday life. His word makes all the difference. Yeah, it makes the difference because if we got the word and we apply the word, uh, we stand on the word. Sometimes you're standing and it look like a, it look as if nothing is happening. You continue to stand because after standing, just stand some more. You're standing on that sure foundation, the solid foundation. It can't give in. It won't crash. It won't break. Uh-uh. Just stand right on until the word does the work for you. Hallelujah. I'm thankful unto God this morning again. I love him. Oh, I give him praise. Hallelujah. I appreciate him. For there's none like him. Had it not been for him, I wouldn't have such a great spiritual life. Yeah, I wouldn't be living. My life is hid in him. So I come to do his will and to obey him. So we thank him this morning. All of us, we give him glory honor and praise. And I want to say this to you, that faithful few, <coughs> excuse me, I love each and every one of you. Pray for you every day. Yeah, pray for you. Uh-huh. And Shante and I, when we get together, we pray for you. Yeah, we pray for those that even see the name Freedom Doors Ministry or Jesus in the Morning. Yeah, we pray because of this. If you're here, that means God sent you. If you came here and you decided to stay each morning and have church, yeah, God sent you over here. And because of your obedience, ask him. Because he said, if you ask it to be given, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will come open to you. We're asking him. We're seeking him. We're knocking on his door. And you'll find out his door is always open. And then you'll find out if you ask him, he can give. Hallelujah. We're asking not amiss but according to his will. And so we're thankful this morning that he's on our side in spite of us. He looks beyond our faults and yet meet our needs. Hallelujah. And uh, even give heart desires. So we love this great God, Jehovah, that have all power. There's no higher power. He so loved us, he sent his only begotten son. And if we believe, we won't perish, but have everlasting life. But, you know, once you believe, you want to seek because you want to research. You want to find out about him, him that you have received. Yeah. And you want to find out about his spirit, what it does. Yeah. It leads you uh, into all truth. It leads and guides. It'll bring things back to your remembrance. Yeah. It does all of this. 
And uh, it's just a wonderful thing if we can just have the ear to hear. Because he don't he don't talk as loud as I talk all the time. Sometimes it's just a nice, quiet, still, like voice. Yeah, Barbara. Yeah, you can hear it in your spirit. Sometimes I can hear it audible. And some people say, oh, no, she's not hearing from God. The devil is alive. You're not hearing from God. Hallelujah. But sometimes I can hear him talking to me. And I thank him for it. And many days when you hear me uh, give you something of encouragement, many times it's inspiration because you already know. Yeah, it's confirmation. You already know what you've been praying for. And many days God is not specific, but he lets you know that I heard you and I'm doing it for you. Hallelujah. Wait on me. Wait on the Lord. Be of a good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Hallelujah. We're not waiting on the job. Mm -mm. We're not waiting on family members. We're not waiting on friends. We're waiting on the Lord. We're not waiting on the government. Uh -huh. Somebody was telling me, they said they're going to shut it down this Saturday. Well, if they shut the government down, one thing about it, they didn't shut heaven down. How about that? Huh? They didn't shut heaven down. Hey, glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, they didn't shut heaven down. They didn't shut God down. He yet can provide. Oh, I'm happy right now. Amen goes right now. I'm going to get a little Everett going this morning. Uh, Mr. Everett Drake, he came and he testified of how God gave the song to him. And I never forgot it. I never forgot it. Yeah. He said he was at the kitchen. I believe he was washing his coffee cup out. And the Lord gave him this song. Amen goes right there. Yeah. And it's catching that. You, you listen to it enough, you'll start singing that thing. Yeah. And so it's all right. Listen, we're going to pray the prayer of faith. If no one else has anything to say, I want to encourage y'all to pray for Brother Anthony. Pray for Sister Jerry. Pray for my God, baby Laura. Uh, pray for Shantae. I'm trying to think of the list now. I'm trying to pray for Sister Dot. And uh, just pray for all of us. Sister Irene, pray for each Sister Rita, Sister Rose Brown. Just pray for each of us. But those names that I really call first, I need you to be in prayer for them. And I pray for my uh, spiritual son, Trayvon. Pray for him for me. Keep him lifted in prayer. Hallelujah. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you today for all that has been said and done. We thank you again this morning for your word, Father. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. Father, it show us the way to go to safety. It show us the right way to walk up before you. And we want to lift our heads today, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting arms. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. We believe your word this morning. We believe that you're on our side in spite of us. We believe that if you be for us, Father, you're more than the whole world against us. We believe that we're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. No weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Hallelujah. Thank you this morning. We thank you for your word, all for your promises to us. We give you glory. We give you the honor and praise. And, Father, as we depart this morning, bless our going out. Hey, glory, hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Are you doing it for us today? We give you glory. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, he is doing it for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. May the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent one from another in the name of Jesus. Go today in love and peace. Share the good news of Jesus and give someone something of quality. God loves a cheerful giver. Have a blessed day. I speak the blessings of Almighty God upon you today, September the 27th, 2023, in Jesus' name. I believe he's doing great things for us right now. Hallelujah. So as you think about it throughout the day, if you can lift your hands to him, if you can't do nothing but just harm to him, tell him thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for me this morning. Thank you for what you're going to do throughout my day, September the 27th. 2023 in the now and our time. Yeah, he's moving. Hallelujah. So at this time, I'm going to say bye-bye. Again, have a blessed and uncommon miracle day in Jesus' name. And we go on our last song, Mr. Everett Drake. Drake, amen goes right there. Thank it, Jim. <laughs> Yeah.